If you would stand to your feet, we stand as we read God's word, as we believe it's living and active, and we want to revere it. And so if you open your Bible to Psalm 107, Psalm 107 is where we're going to be this morning. It'll be in the middle of your Bible. I asked Jim and Shirley Ellis to read for us because they're going to be reading about 33 verses between the psalm back and forth. They're going to read verses 1 through 32, and then Jim will read verse 43, which is the last verse of the psalm. We'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they draw near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, For his wondrous works to the children of man, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Thanks, you guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Would you uh, turn your attention to pray with me? As we jump in here, Father, we desperately need you this morning. 
God, as we look to a new year and reflect on an old year, would you make it clear to us how we can surrender deeper to you in this next year? And God, with that, would that create in us a sense of gratitude, overwhelming gratitude to praise you for who you are, for your good to us? We need you this morning. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe in the goodness of who you are? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we are turning the corner of a new year. In a couple days, it's going to be 2020. Crazy. Out of the teens. It's nuts. And if you're anything like me, the turn of the year is like a natural reset for us to go, what happened last year? And what's going to happen this year? It gets me curious for what's going to happen in the coming year and reflect on what's happened in the last year. And what I want to do for us this morning is to look at the poetry of Psalm 107 and ask ourselves, how are we trusting God in the midst of our circumstances? Because we're going to find four groups of people in all different types of circumstances here and how they respond to what God says and how he rescues them in the midst of their circumstances. If you look at the last verse that Jim read, the last verse of the chapter, verse 43, says this, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I desperately desire to be wiser this year than I was last year. I hope if we said, hey, do you want more wisdom this year in 2020? I hope every hand would go up today, that you would desire to be more wise, to understand who God is and how to operate in life. And so the key to this, it says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. These things we're about to unpack here in a minute. It says, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That last phrase, let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I want to ask you a question. How do you consider the steadfast love of the Lord? Even right now, what does that look for you What does it look like in your daily life to consider the steadfast love of the Lord? We just sang that song, Majesty, forever I am changed by his love. Has he changed you forever because of his love? And do you sit on it? Do you consider it? Do you ponder it? That's what this verse means. And that's how we get wisdom. The original word for consider in the text is to ponder to contemplate, to puzzle, to slow down, to consider. Do you do that? Because that leads to wisdom. That leads to perspective in the midst of your circumstances that you would ponder and consider the good, steadfast love of the Lord. The problem with the Christian faith for a lot of us is that it's too relational. This God desires to be with us, and sometimes we just want what we want from him, and we want to move on with our lives, and God does not operate that way. Can you imagine in my marriage, if the only time I interacted with my wife was two hours a week, and that was it? And really, the only time I interacted with her was when I really kind of wanted something from her. What type of relationship would that be? Pretty, pretty bad relationship. But for many of us, we operate that way in the Christian life. We kind of come to church, kind of check a box. Maybe we go to a group, and then we just go on without our day, and it's compartmentalized, and it's not relational. And then we don't have wisdom. And then we're confused when circumstances hit, and we don't know 
why we're feeling the way we're feeling. And I want to suggest to you this morning, church, that we would consider in 2020, we would slow down enough to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It reminds me of growing up in the 90s and they had these posters kind of came out from in the early 90s, kind of everywhere. And they were all of a sudden, they were on every wall. They were on post, uh, somebody's wall as a poster. They were hung up and framed. And it was this group called the Magic Eye was the one that came out with it. You could throw that poster up. Do you guys remember these that are old enough to remember? Some of you weren't even born then. Some of you are trying to figure out what the image actually is, right? You're kind of beginning to squint your eyes and focus. For you that aren't familiar with this type of artwork, what it was, was you got a certain distance from this type of artwork. You would stand next to it and you, you would back up a couple steps and you would begin to kind of blur your eyes and focus to a specific spot. And what would happen when you would do that is all of a sudden an image, kind of like a 3D hologram image would come into play with these colors. Now I remember when this stuff got really popular, people would walk up and you'd see like a group of two or three people kind of looking at it like this. And like, oh, man. Oh, do you see that? Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. And then somebody new would walk up that isn't familiar with this and they'd be like, what? This is, I don't see, there's nothing to see here. And you would try to explain it to them and they'd go, this doesn't work. And they would just walk away. And they would hate these posters because some people saw and they didn't get to see it. And I think a lot of times we treat our life in Christianity like this. And this is, if you flip to the next one, this is actually like an image like a dolphin going through a hoop. It's very like 90s beachy, you know, the different themes that they had. And that would come into play in that picture if you focused your eyes the right way. But again, if a lot of us don't consider, we don't take time to sit in this book. We don't take time to be around the people of God. We just go throughout our day and we don't sit and focus on the goodness and the love of God. And we miss it. We don't see what's going on in our life, and we're confused and frustrated, and we walk away and we say, ah, this doesn't seem to work. Could we slow down enough this year? Could we slow down as a community and get in our Bibles and get with each other and consider the goodness and the love of God that he's actually changed you? And he is changing you. Let's flip back to the beginning of the Psalm in 107 as we talk about what does it look like to slow down and consider the steadfast love of God for wisdom. The structure of this poem is there are four different groups of people and they find themselves in different circumstances. None of them really like their circumstances. And so it shows what they try to do to get out of their circumstances or what actually got them in their circumstances. And then they get to the end of their rope and they end up doing the same thing. All four people or all four groups do the same thing. They cry out to the Lord and the Lord rescues them. And then they have gratitude. So what I want to do is I want to unpack these four different groups before they get to the part of them crying out to the Lord. What scenarios, what circumstances are they in? Let's look down at the first group starting in verse 4 of 107. This first group says, Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. So this first group is searching. They're looking. They're wandering. They're trying to find things that will satisfy their thirst and their hunger, and they can't find it anywhere on their own. 
says that they're hungry and thirsty, they're not satisfied, their souls are faint. That's the first group. The second group, if you flip over your Bible too, verse 10. It says, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. The second group seems to know the words of God. Somehow it has been brought to them, and as it's been brought to them, because of their circumstances, they decide, you know what? I hear what God is saying, but I'm actually going to go do this. I don't think God's right. I'm going to go do this. They rebel against the words of God, verse 11 says. They spur the counsel of the Most High. And this traces all the way back to Adam and Eve. Right? They're searching for control. God says, don't do this. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat of this tree. And they do it anyway. They think their way is better than God's way. And for many of us, that's the same thing. We think our way is better. Than, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that this is the right thing to do. I know God's word says to do this. I know this is what I should do. But ah, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to do this. And every time we do that and we operate in our own flesh, every time we do that, we are rebelling against God's word and we are putting ourselves in a prison that we can't unlock. In the context of what God says about sexual sexual ethics, he says it is for one man, one woman in a marriage relationship. That is the context for sex to thrive the way God has designed it. But for some of us, we know that. We know that's what God says is true. But we say, you know what, God? It's not that big a deal. I'm going to do it anyway. We're engaged. I know you say to wait, but man, I keep getting caught in this temptation. I'm going to do it anyway. And you're spurning the counsel of the Most High, and you're locking yourself in a prison of darkness. And then you're frustrated why you're not thriving in the midst of your sin. It could be something else. God tells us to forgive as he has forgiven us. And there's one person, that person, you go, ah, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to forgive that person for what they did to me. God, I know you say to forgive, but I'm not going to listen to that. And you're rebelling against what God says to do. And you're putting yourself in a prison. That's the second group. Let's look at the third group, verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. These type of people are described as foolish. This makes me think they're kind of caught up in some type of addiction. Like even the real thing, even food, they loathe. Even something that's good for them, they go, no, 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 no. I don't want that, I don't want that, I want this. And they're caught up in some type of addiction. And it draws them close to the gates of death. That's the third group, fourth group, starting verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing their business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunk men, and they were at their wits' end. 
This group grows out to do what they've always done, maybe a little too confident in their ability as they go out into the sea. And all of a sudden, this storm hits, and they can't control it. They're trying to control it, but they get to their wits end. They get to the end of their rope, and they go, we can't do it anymore. They're reeling, they're staggering around, and they're going, we can't can't do it. We've done everything we can, and we can't do it. Do you ever find yourself in circumstances that the waves just keep crashing? And you think, this is it. This has got to be the last wave. And then all of a sudden, the next day, something else crashes. And you just feel like you can't do it anymore. You have no control. You have no control over the circumstances. And I believe that's the text says that's exactly where we need to be. And each situation, even these four groups, what the person or the group they're actually searching for is they're searching for control over their circumstances. And don't we all live there all the time? We want control over what's going around on us. We want some type of say. We don't want things just to happen to us. We want control. And one of the authors we read here often is a, is a man named Sky Jatani. And he has a book called With, W-I-T-H. And in that book, he uses this graph that I'm going to use in the context of Psalm 107 this morning. And it goes like this. You'll see it behind me on the screen. Because of the brokenness of the world in Genesis 3, we come into contact with danger. That is just true. We live in a dangerous world. That danger naturally produces a fear in us. Sometimes fear can be good, right? It's a natural fear in us. And what we do with that fear is... The linchpin. Do we control so we get fearful and automatically we reach out for control? It could be fight or flight, but we do our best to control or manage our circumstances. And when we begin to control or manage our circumstances, what actually happens is it actually leads to more danger. It either leads to dangers of others because I'm controlling and it's about me and it's self-focused and so I don't care about you, or it's a control that actually leads to more danger, which leads to more fear, which leads to more control. And this is the cycle we get stuck in. And this is the cycle we see our four people stuck in before they break free from it. And if we look at this and we examine it, again, that first group, they're wandering. They have this danger because there's no city, there's no food, there's no shelter. That produces fear inside them. Am I going to survive? And what do they try to do in control? They begin to wander. And as they wander, they probably realize, man, this is more dangerous than I Realize that leads to more fear. That leads to more control. And you see how the cycle continues. That second group that spurns or rebels against God's word. I think from the jump, their control is part of the problem. Because for us to be fully obedient to God's word means releasing control. It means I'm going to do what God says to do. And I don't always get to do what I want to do. That's releasing control. And so... People that spurn God's word, they want to hold on to control. And as they hold on to control, it puts them in more danger because when, you be, when you're disobedient to the way God has set things up, it causes more danger, which causes more fear, which causes more control. And it goes on and on again. The third group, the people that seem to be addicted and stuck in their addiction, I want to say that their cycle might start with fear. Because again, all of us have fear a fear of pain, a fear of discomfort. 
And so in the midst of that, what do they do? What does this group do? They do their best to numb that fear, that pain, that discomfort. And we all do it at some level, whether we check out and watch Netflix for four hours a day or whatever. Like we somehow numb and we want to escape from reality, from that fear, from that danger. And I want to unplug and I don't want to deal with it. But these people have taken it to some other level, probably with substance. And what happens when you get out of that idea of control? They're scared, and so they control with numbing themselves with certain things. Well, what happens when those certain things wear off? Back into more danger. Because you're going, I don't know if I can function without this thing. And it's more danger, which causes more fear, which causes more control. And you see how the cycle continues. This fourth group is heading out into the sea. Maybe they're trying to control their situation. They encounter danger with this windstorm that comes up. They have fear. Maybe they start to control because they're moving the mast or they're leaning the ship into the sea and they're trying to do everything they control until they can't do it anymore. And all of these groups get to the end of their rope where they're saying, I can't control anymore. And this cycle of danger and fear and control is in all of us. I used to do this all the time when I was single in college. I would have danger of saying, like, I'm going to be alone. That's dangerous for me. I don't want that. I desire a spouse. And so what would happen is I would start to have this fear of, like, I'm really going to be alone. And that's terrifying for me. I want to be known. I want to be loved. And so what I would start to do is automatically I would start to control. I would try to manage. I would say, okay, well, I'm going to go to this group. Or I'm going to go bump into this person. Or maybe I'm going to try this. Now, trying those things is not wrong inherently. But the problem was I was going straight to control and management. I wasn't asking God, what should I do? How do I trust you in this? I was bypassing all of that and going straight to control. Which caused more danger which cause more fear. I do this all day in parenting. My in-laws will tell you they're in the front row. That happens all the time. There's a danger because I can't control what's happening to my children, and so that causes a fear within me, which makes me want to control their lives and the lives of the people around them all the time, which leads to more danger, which leads to more fear, which leads to more control. And when you get stuck in this cycle, it's gonna, you're going to have the results that these people have before they cry out to God. Your soul will be faint. You will be hungry and thirsty. You'll feel like you're in darkness. You will be a prisoner in your own ways. You will suffer affliction. You won't even take the good thing that's right in front of you, and you will be at your wit's end. I don't want to live 2020 like that. I don't think any of us do, but we get caught up in this cycle, and we don't know how to break free of this cycle. But the Bible tells us how to break free. Look at your text, what every single one of these four groups do. What do they do? They cry out to the Lord. It's the same language we see in Exodus 2 that we just unpacked. The people are oppressed and they cry out to the Lord. God hears their cry and enters in and saves them. It's the same language we saw in the book of Judges a couple years back when we studied it. They get pushed into the cycle and God presses their circumstances into a place where they have to cry out to the Lord. And you know what happens when you cry out to the Lord? He rescues you every time. Now, what you want to be rescued from may not be what he rescues you from. Let's make that clear. 
This isn't rub the bottle and God pops out like a genie and does everything you want. You may be crying out to him and he still may have you in circumstances because he goes, this is actually the best for you. And it doesn't seem to make sense. And you keep crying out to him. You don't grab for control. You keep crying out to him. Why don't we do this? Why don't we cry out to him if this is the way we break this cycle? Because crying out to him is really hard. It's vulnerable. And it takes humility. And it takes you saying, yeah, I I don't have it figured out. I don't know what to do, God. And that goes against everything in our American culture, doesn't it? But this is the answer. And if there's the issue of control is the key that unlocks this cycle, I want to dive a little bit down, a little bit farther in this fourth group, the men that go out to sea. Because if you heard this read or you're reading it now and you're a good student of the Bible and you've read about Jesus, you might be like, I know that story. I've heard that story somewhere about a storm and a ship and the seas being stilled. Where, what? Yeah, you have heard it. Okay, flip over your Bible to Mark chapter 4 in the Gospels. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and 40. And I think there's a key in here that's going to help us understand what it looks like to release control, which will break us from this cycle. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is what it says. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them the boat, and he was in it. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What we see here is the disciples are caught up in the cycle. There's danger that comes upon them because of this storm. And they start to have fear. And they start to try and control and manage. How do we know that they're trying to control and manage? It looks like they're just calling out to the Lord, right? Which is a part of what breaks the cycle. Let's look at this detail in verse 38 that is extremely interesting for us. Again, verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Why would the author include that detail of the story? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, he doesn't include other details about the storm, how high the waves got, or how much water was getting in the boat, but he specifically talks about where Jesus is asleep. Why didn't he just say, well, Jesus was asleep, and the disciples came to him? He specifically says he was in the stern on the cushion. When we do our homework, what we start to see is, the way boats were fashioned at this time. There's a picture of a boat behind me, and a boat like this was found, actually found in 1986, wedged up against the mud in the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Boat of the Sea of Galilee. It's a first century boat used for fishing and transportation across a lake. It's 27 feet long, it's seven and a half feet wide, and there's a cushion at the stern. So if you look at this boat, and you see the man sitting down, with a big stick coming out. This, these boats that were used, they were before boats had rudders, which is how you steer a boat. 
And so what you would do is you would go to the stern and there was a cushion that you would actually sit on and you would take this big pole, this big stick, and that's how you would steer the ship. That's a really interesting detail for us in the story, don't you think? They're in the midst of this storm, they're in the midst of this wave, and they're going, okay, we've been in these storms before. We're fishermen, we know how to navigate these types of situations, but you know what the problem is? The problem is not the storm, the problem is somebody is sleeping at the wheel. If Jesus would just actually get out of the way and let me steer the boat, I could navigate through this thing. How many times are we like that? We have these circumstances we don't like, and we say, Jesus, if you would actually get out of the way, I could fix this. I could figure this out. And Jesus is so intentional where he is sleeping and where he is sitting. He's saying, listen, you're not going to figure this out. You won't. Watch what I can do when you trust me by faith. He stands up. He speaks to the sea, and it's calm. And the message for us in the midst of breaking out of this cycle of desired control is to say, okay, where am I reaching for control instead of crying out and surrendering and asking God, to change me, to change my heart. Because when I sit back and I really think about the illusion of control and how I think it'll relieve my fears, it's just really a mirage. And I love control. I'm a one on the Enneagram, so like I could huddle up and cuddle up to control. It feels so good. And because it's like, at least let me drive the car, because at least I know I can do better than you, right? It's full of pride, it's full, it's terrible stuff, but I'll reach for it, especially when I feel fearful. I'll reach for control to try and manage my circumstances. But when I sit back and I think about it, it's like I don't have control. Because I have zero control on so many things happening. So I have to come to the end of myself and go, okay, when I feel that fear, instead of latching on to trying to control and manage, I need to go the other direction and I need to surrender. And if control is an illusion, how do we break away from that control when we have fear? How do we break the cycle of danger and fear and control? Henry Nouwen, who was a priest and a professor and an author, found that answer to that question, how you break out of that cycle, at the circus, actually. He was sitting at the circus, and he's watching the trapeze act. And Sky Jatani, in his book with, talks about this interaction that Nouwen has with the trapeze. Listen to what he says. He says, when watching the trapeze act, he found himself transfixed by the artistry of the acrobats. But in the flying and the spinning, he found more than an exhilarating show. He saw theology in motion. Now, and observed that the flyer, the person soaring through the air, is not really the star of the show. While everyone is focused on the flyer's aerial maneuvers, they sometimes fail to see that the maneuvers are only possible because the flyer fully trusts that he will be caught. Everything depends on the catcher. This led Nowen to a new way of understanding the Christian life with God. He says this, I can only fly free when I know there's a catcher to catch me. 
If we are to take risk to be free in the air and life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. For us to break free from this natural impulse to control is to surrender. And if you look at this second cycle that he suggests in the book, is that when we get hit with this fear, instead of moving to control automatically, instead we move to surrender. And we get caught in this cycle of surrender and safety and faith. Because when you surrender, when you cry out to God and who he is, he will catch you. He is faithful to do that. That produces a safety with inside of you. And don't get it twisted. I don't mean, again, that he will take those circumstances away. That you'll be free from fear or circumstances. Like everything's going to be roses and unicorns. That's not what I'm saying. There's a safety involved because of who you're with. Because he's good. He's going to catch you. And you can trust him, that he knows what he's doing, that he's got you in this exact circumstance at this exact time on purpose so you can lean into him and trust him even more. And when you do that, you start to feel safe, that you can walk through any circumstance, even if you don't like it. That's the difference of Christians. They can have joy in the midst of terrible, terrible circumstances because there's a safety moving through those things. That causes faith. It allows you to say, okay, I will step out of the boat because I know God is with me. And, and I also don't want to confuse the, the word surrender as fear comes upon you and then all of a sudden, well, all right, God, I'll just sit here and I'll cry to you. Like, that's not what I mean. Like, surrender is crying out and praying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Last night, I woke up at like 2 in the morning because... We turned our heat on because it's cold here. It's weird. It's cold. People from other places think it's not cold. We turned on our heat, Miller. We did, okay, because we're from Arizona. We turned it on, and like 2 in the morning, I get woken up because it sounds like there's a boot in my heat. It's like, you know, and I wake up to that. And so automatically, what do I do? There's danger, not danger the house is going to blow up, but like danger of like, I have to pay for this. You know, and so that's dangerous. That's a dangerous concept in my mind at two in the morning. So that leads to fear of like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for this? Do you know what I did automatically at two in the morning? I go to control. Who do I call? Who do I talk to? How do I save? All those things are not wrong. But instead of going that direction first, you know what I need to do? I need to go, God, what do you want to teach me through this? Like if you're fully in control and you're fully good and you are, what do I need to learn from, from this process? How do I need to lean in? What do I need to take away from this time? Would you help me? Would you change me? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to call somebody? Again, that's the mini step from fear to surrender versus control. And it's a huge, huge difference when you make that step. Again, if you stay in this first cycle of danger, and fear and control, the natural results will be that your soul is faint. You will feel like you're in utter darkness. You will feel like you're at the gates of death and you will be at your wit's end. But if you move by the power of the Spirit into the cycle of surrender and safety and faith, the natural results, do you know what they're going to be? Overwhelming gratitude. And we see it in the text. 
right? These groups, they all cry out to God, and what do they are naturally met with? This overwhelming gratitude of God is good. You see it in every one of the refrains. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. You'll start to feel grateful, even in the midst of your circumstances that you don't like. You can be grateful, and you can have joy. What we have to remember, even in the midst of sometimes the circumstances are so heavy, you just feel like you're suffocating. And that's when faith comes in in the cycle. of saying, I know what God has done in the past. I trust that he's good. I don't see it right now, but I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep trusting him. And when you begin to believe that, you'll want to surrender more. And God will meet you in that surrender more. And you'll have more faith. That's the cycle we need to move into in 2020. Again, we have to keep God's sovereignty, his authority over control over everything in mind with this. Because if we don't have that, it's really hard to do this. If you don't think God's in control or you don't think he's good, this is really, really hard. You don't really trust the catcher. You want to do a flip and you think, ah, he's going to drop me. God is not going to drop you. He is good. It is true. He's got you where he's got you on purpose. Love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. And that's so true. And again, with that fear, I get anxious on certain things and I need to let them go and trust that everything happening to me is to make me and mold me and shape me more to like Jesus. It lets me go, okay, I'm going to trust that process. In her book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering, Vanitha Reisner writes this. She says, whenever I feel annoyed or frustrated or angry, perhaps God is inviting me to examine my own heart instead of focusing my attention outward. Perhaps my irritation is an invitation from the Lord to go deeper with him. God may be doing something far more important and more lasting in me than what is happening to me. Eugene Peterson's interpretation of the Beatitudes echoes this idea beautifully. In his message, paraphrase in Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4, it reads this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. She goes on to say that blessed at the end of your rope, blessed when you've lost what's most dear. In the eyes of the world, that sounds insane. It's the opposite of the world's definition of blessed. To the world, being blessed is having everything you want and more. It's having your dreams come true. It's not being at the end of your rope and losing everything dear to you, but in God's economy, being blessed takes on the new meaning. We're blessed when we have no human resources. We have nothing on our own to turn to, no human to rely on. When nothing seems to be going well, this is when God and his rule increase in our life. There is less of us and more of God. When we lose what's most dear to us on earth, 
We value our Heavenly Father's embrace even more. His embrace is more dear, more precious, more spectacular than anything we could have possibly lost. And the only reason Christians like Vanita can say those words, the only reason is because Jesus lived out perfectly the cycle of surrender and safety and faith. And he gave it to us through the cross. Because if you think about it again, there should be no reason that God rescues these people, these four people. There's no reason that God should rescue them apart from his love. And every other religious system, you get what you've earned. Every other religious system, you try to do enough good things and they stack up higher than your bad things. Or at least more than the person next to you's bad things. And so we go through life trying to live this perfect way, always failing. Hoping that we've earned enough credit to get into where we want to get in when we die. That's every other world religion. And if God is perfect... He demands justice and righteousness, and he is right. And so you can never do enough to get to him. Not only that, but it wouldn't make any sense if you're in this religious system to cry out to him. You're the one that put yourself there. But this is where the beauty of Jesus comes crashing in to the Christian story, unlike any other religious system. Jesus takes our sin, our destruction, When he goes on the cross and he cries out to the Father and he takes what we deserve. He cries out, right? The key to changing from control to surrender is crying out. We saw that. He cries out on the cross to his Father and what happens? It's abandoned. He's separated from God. Which is exactly what we deserve because of our sin. Abandonment and separation from a holy God. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, we don't get abandonment and separation. We get unconditional love and acceptance. We get grace. This is the good news of the gospel. That because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can break free from that cycle that leads to death and we can have life and gratitude. Father of Jesus, again, this allows us to stay in the surrender, safety, faith cycle, being overwhelmed with the gratitude for the freedom that we don't deserve, but Christ has provided. Psalm 107, 43, last verse of the chapter, says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. As we move into the year 2020, may we be people that grow in wisdom. As we consider, as we ponder, as we get lost in the steadfast love of the Lord. And by the power of His Spirit, may we be people that stop seeking control. Start seeking surrender. Let's pray. Father, we need you so desperately to help us, God. Apart from your spirit moving in us, awakening our dead bodies, we have no shots.
at breaking free from this first cycle. And it just leads to destruction. God, would we be reminded of your saving grace, the power of your spirit to break us free from the cycles we find ourselves in that are destructive, to start living in a new cycle of surrender, of safety, and faith that would lead us to gratitude. It would change the way we look at life. It would change the way we look at other people. We would be free to love other people. God, we need you for that. We cannot do it on our own. We are desperate for you to change us. Would you help us move in this direction? We love you. We trust you. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.